Welcome to the Assurance Show. This podcast is for internal auditors and performance auditors. We discuss risk and data-focused ideas that are relevant to assurance professionals. Your hosts are Connor McGarity and Yusuf Mullah. How are you going today, Yusuf? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Not too bad. So today, our topic is going beyond the audit report. Sounds very exciting. I think there are three things we're going to touch on today. There are three things. So the first is remedial action that we identify in the report and going beyond that initial remedial action. The second thing is going to be about using the report for maximum impact. And the third thing we'll talk about is following up. Uh, so follow-up audits and other follow-up activity. I think it is useful, though, to spend some time just talking about remedial action. So in terms of an internal audit there, what are we talking about when we say remedial action? So remedial actions are those actions that we have worked with management or they have worked on independently to address any issues that we've identified through the audit. When we talk about going beyond that remedial action, we're talking about present, past, and future. Quite often we think about the present and we think about the specific items that have been identified where the issue was found. In the old days, we used to do sample selection. Nowadays, we do full population recalcs using data, right? Maybe a couple of years ago when we were still doing sample-based auditing, we select a sample, we look for anomalies based on what we know of the process or the risk and where we identify any anomalies we raise those quite often those anomalies are taken as the items that need to be fixed so as opposed to fixing the whole issue so when we talk about the present we talk about fixing the whole issue not just those specific samples that have been found but any other such items that we can identify as well either within or outside of the specific process that's been audited we then want to go and look at the past as well and determine what a reasonable period in the past to look at is for any actions that we may need to address let's say we charge customers fees on a banking account if we identify that there are some fees that have been charged incorrectly if it's an underpayment by the customer we may decide to only fix it going forward if it's an overpayment by the customer typically we want to go back about seven years so that we're treating our customer fairly in some cases we want to go back to underpayments as well but that's the topic of a separate discussion the future is about what can we do now to make sure to the extent that we can, we don't have that situation come up again in the future. Okay, so those three chronological aspects you've just mentioned there, so remedial actions that deal with present, deal with the past, and deal with the future, are they in order of importance? No, they're not in any particular order. We may decide that one is more important than the other, and it will depend on the circumstance. In some circumstances, the past will be more important. In some circumstances, the future will be more important. The point is to find all three scenarios, so past, present, and future, and then prioritizing them for implementation. And I'm guessing that in big organizations in particular, the business stakeholder most interested in the past issues or the present issues or the future issues may in fact be different people. In fact, sometimes the people that were involved in the past are no longer there. We see that quite often. Usually the easiest situation, there's no personal connection with any errors that have existed in the past or processes that haven't worked well, and the new person coming in just wants to see it get fixed. Issues that may impact the future, particularly where the customer's concerned, that may fall within the remit of somebody trying to maintain a customer base or to grow the customer base or grow the business, that type of thing, to ensure that problems are eradicated. You have situations where there are projects that are on the go, and knowing about these issues and you know folding those into business cases for those projects will be important. So if you identify these sorts of things and go to not just the BAU people, but any project people that are involved in um, related activities, you might get better take up because you're helping build business cases for the projects that they're involved in. And does that include the people most in, most interested in the, the present issues, how we're traveling currently? Or could that be a spread of 
people around the organization. Again, it will depend on the individual circumstances. Often what we see is that the future is something that people want to fix because it's, you know, there's budget for it, etc. Um, we do need to ensure that we go a bit beyond the beyond what just what's just been identified so that we, you know, make as much or use make as much impact as we can with the audit work that's been conducted. Identifying that scenario is not always an easy thing. Once it's been identified, if you can look across various processes or sub-processes, a lot of the hard work would have been done up front just thinking about it. Just thinking about what could go wrong and then use that and make sure that that's that that's maximized going beyond the initial remedial remedial action is the first thing that will help us maximize the impact of our reporting i'm going to go to the third one and then come back the third one is is following up the third one is on matters that have been identified in the report linked to the first one so the first one was about remedial action right and going beyond that following up is about looking at the processes as they've been as they are being designed or as they have been redesigned controls that have been fixed as a result of actions that have been agreed on and following up on those to determine whether that now works and also works in the context of the current business. Sometimes you'll do a follow-up after 12 months or 18 months. In BAU world, in, in sort of project active audit, you would do it as you go. But as an audit team, we need to be helping management work through whether the actions continue to be relevant because actions are actions are usually appropriate at a point in time, at the time that the audit was conducted. But businesses change, business processes change, expectations change, objectives change, the strategy will change. So we need to, in conducting follow-up work, ensure that actions that have been identified continue to be relevant and appropriate. Slightly different in the performance audit world, every report or pretty much every report results in recommendations um, that need to be implemented by those public sector entities that, that have been subject to the performance audit. Typical practices for those entities to provide their response about to those recommendations that actually gets included in the report that goes to the parliament. So if we've got entity A, entity B and entity C, and we've made several recommendations, they will respond to us saying, yes, we accept or we decline the recommendations or we disagree. And this is our reason why. Then that gets folded into the report that's ultimately prepared. And that then is combined and goes to the parliament. Usually any response by those entities where they have agreed provides a timetable for their implementation. So they may say, you know, we'll do this in six months, 12 months. That then gives a window of opportunity for the Auditor General that's issued that report to actually then go back and revisit the issue and say, look, as an organisation, you committed to doing this. Please provide us a written response to how you've implemented these recommendations. So that is one way that's that's regularly used to follow up particular entities on the implementation of particular recommendations. Now, one of the other methods that's commonly used by auditors general is they take a subset of their reports that are done every year. So for the sake of argument, let's say we do 10 performance audit reports a year. In two or three years time, we might say as part of this year's work program, we're going to actually follow up on three of these reports. So the ent- these entities told us this is what they were doing to implement our previous recommendations from a couple of years ago. We're actually going to do a mini performance audit and determine, firstly, if they've implemented them. And secondly, if their implementation has actually solved the problem or solved the risk that was identified in the first instance. So there, there, there are two aspects to follow up. Follow up individual recommendations made to organizations within reports. But then a secondary measure is to select a sample of performance audit recommendations and to do a mini performance audit of their implementation. So that's both 
have you implemented it and the implementation has resulted in the risk being addressed? Correct. What then happens if the action that was determined two years ago is no longer relevant and won't address the risk if they haven't taken that action but have taken an alternate action. Is that okay? So I think you've asked two separate questions there in one. If the issue is redundant as it was originally identified and either doesn't require action to address it or if a different action is required, then that's perfectly fine if that can be rationalized and proved by the entity that was responsible for it. But then do we look at what the alternate action was and whether it's been implemented? Yes, we do. So firstly, what have they done and why? And the first two questions. So we told you to do this. You didn't do it this way because the action didn't address the matter as you saw it. Why didn't it address it? What have you done to address it? And then we need to then think, we need to make an assessment whether or not what they have done has been effective or not. In terms of addressing the initial effectiveness or efficiency or economy criteria. If that issue is still live, if the issue has morphed and their response has been, well, we have changed what we've done based on the changing issue, then we need to determine, well, does it still address the root cause problem? So some audit teams are involved in closing off actions audit will identify an issue management will identify the action to address that issue and then quite often the auditors will come in to determine whether the action has been taken as as per the due dates and report that back to the audit committee and is there any set time frame for follow-up by internal auditors on the implementation of matters or is that on a case-by-case basis it's a case-by-case basis the follow-up of actions that have been taken would depend on the way in which the first second and third lines work together Sometimes what we see is that the second line will be involved, if there is a second line, say if there is a risk team, second line will be involved in helping management to address the issue and then doing a first pass of any remedial action that's been taken, as in once the action has been taken, checking that it makes sense, and then audit will come in to actually close the finding at the end, validate. So that's that's sort of ongoing, so it's not a specific follow-up audit that's been undertaken. In other cases, there will be specific follow-up audits and that may be you know, six months or 12 months down the line, depending on what the dates that have been identified are. If the audit committee sees that there's a particularly high risk area or very high risk area where there have been failures, then they might request that audit actually conduct a full follow-up audit on that area. So it does depend. The second thing is using the report for maximum impact. What are, what are you thinking there in terms of impact? What do you envisage? This will be different for internal audit and performance audit. Internal auditors will usually use the work that they've done internally that usually be reasonably standalone sets of work. There's obviously a lot of integration between audits, but usually the audits will stand alone, a report will be created, and those issues need to be addressed. But following on from the themes we mentioned under going beyond the initial action and, and following up, what is it that the audit report can be used for more broadly across the business in the case of audit or more broadly across various government departments in the case of performance audit to maximize the work that was done and the outcomes of those reports. The work, the recommendations uh, and the potential for improving practices. When you talk about maximizing impact there, the first thing that immediately comes to mind to me in terms of performance audit is visibility. How do we get the visibility of the report we've produced either across the sector or in front of the people that need to see it so that they can actually take some action. What would that look like? In terms of visibility, one of the very important mechanisms that can be um, used by 
performance audit in particular is the uh, the media and that's primarily because they have an extensive reach to a very broad group of people and this is a subject we touched on in one of our previous episodes when we spoke about audience and how to position in front of your audience the media while it has and we're talking there you know print media radio media uh, social media and other sort of traditional and emerging media sources it's important to firstly make them aware of your report and what you've done and how you've done it but potentially most importantly what are the findings what are the messages what does it mean to the people within that community or you who use that service or who deal with the public sector on a day-to-day basis so firstly making sure that they understand the meaning so that they can convey that properly okay so the first is to get the report distributed through the media after it's been um, provided to the parliament quite obviously because that's our primary audience but i think in this day and age it's more and more important to for the media to have a good understanding of firstly what a performance audit report is what's its purpose who does it speak to and what does it try to convey so that's an education of the media firstly and secondly to get them to use your report to spread the message to a wider audience okay so we've delivered our report to parliament before that we would have issued a draft or close to final report to the individual agencies that were involved in the performance audit so that they know what the issues were that are identified that have been identified and for them to respond to those that response is followed into the report the report is issued to parliament and then we put it as performance auditors we'd put that onto our website as for example is that right correct Typically? yeah yep yeah and then the media will pick it up or do we actually engage the media I think that differs from audit office to audit office. I know there's recently there's been more of engagement, proactive engagement from auditors general with the media in trying to get on the front foot and say, look, this is our work program for the year. This is when we intend to produce our reports. You guys should should get ready for it so that they're forewarned as well and they can kick into gear their processes and and report on our our report so to speak at the relevant times. In the past Dare I say there's probably more of a passive arrangement whereby there wasn't as much engagement with the media from auditors general around messaging it was more of a clinical relationship whereby auditors general took the view look I report to the parliament that's the end of uh, my reporting obligations anything else that happens thereafter with that report will not be instigated by my organization So there's been a shift away from that because auditors general have recognized the the benefit to be obtained by working through the media coming to the realization of the benefit to be gained through working with the media to spread your message is the result of community stakeholders actually saying for example to people that work in audit offices we find out about you guys not through your office or through the parliament but through more informal means or through the media So perhaps the auditors general have thought, well, that's how people consume the product, which is my report, performance audit report, then perhaps it's in everybody's interest and going back to the thing we're talking about, trying to maximize impact of the great work that we have done if we have more of a proactive engagement with the media directly. Okay, so that's traditional media then. What about the use of social media? Certainly that's um, been amplified in in at least the past uh, year or two um, across many of the um, audit offices nationally and internationally. And what we've seen for example is a lot more traffic on blogs, on social media feeds, modern ways to communicate in smaller parcels of information 
rather than traditionally you say, come to my website, I've got a 100-page report, here's what it is. What are the types of things that we're seeing that could help create impacts? It's traditional media, it's social media, so Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, all of the above. Podcasts? I haven't seen too many podcasts in in the performance audit sphere, I have to say. Blog articles? Blog articles certainly becoming more and more popular. So I think another important thing is, and try not to veer off topic too much here, Yusuf, is if we're talking about maximizing impact, individual reports themselves need to be written in a way that's not familiar to the reader, but presents information in a digestible way. When we talked earlier about the media, traditional, non-traditional, and so forth, that's the reach and the spread of your audience. How do I get the most people possible to see what I've done and what we're saying? The second thing is, once they know it's available, how do we make it so that they can actually do something with it and understand what we've done? That's the report itself, or is that all the different artifacts that can help you understand the report? It's the report itself, and then the report should obviously signpost the artifacts that are most relevant. When I say the different artifacts, I'm thinking you have YouTube video overviews of a report, you have summaries of a report, you have the conclusion at the beginning of a report. So let's face it, right? Not everybody's going to read a 100-page report or 80-page report. It's too long. So what are those digestible snippets that can enable you to get people to actually read and understand the essence? Okay, that's an excellent question. I can tell you that we've dealt with several audit offices, their performance audit teams, where upon consultation with parliamentarians, have said, look, just like you said, I I just don't have time to read all these 100-page reports that your audit office and all these other great organizations provide me. What can you do for me that's more digestible? Audit offices have listened to that and gone away and done exactly as you've just described. They've said, okay, here's a three-minute audio of our report. Here are the key findings, key messages, the conclusion, and these are the things we're asking agencies to do. And feedback generally from those MPs and chief executives of department has been... This is fantastic. It's really useful. I can get to the main messages very quickly. And if there's a particular thing that I want to follow up on, I can um, speak to the relevant person within my organization. So kind of what about the language that's used to create the report? Just going back to internal audit for a sec, what we have been seeing quite a bit over the last few years is a focus on the use of diagrams, so as opposed to just text. But also, importantly, there's a very big focus on the use of plain English language to write those reports so that we go away from the the way in which we were taught to write findings and issues and conclusions and write it in a way that is more digestible, not just in terms of the format, but in terms of the actual words. So there certainly has been a push we've observed in in our workings with various um, audit offices around the use of active language. Say things simply in an active voice as opposed to making a finding that is passive, which was the more traditional approach to saying things. And that's not as easily done as people may understand. And it takes a little bit of time for the authors of some of these performance audit reports to get their head around that. It's time and effort well spent because it makes it much easier for the reader to actually understand what we're trying to say as auditors. And part of that reflects in the way in which we speak as well, right? So we often speak in passive language as auditors. It's just the way I often speak in passive language as an auditor, just the way that that I learned over the years and some of that habit has to be broken. But I have come across a few good resources for plain English language, one of them based out of the UK, and we'll put a a link to to that in the show notes. Very easy to follow, of course, as you would expect. What else are we seeing in terms of having impact? 
So I just wanted to talk about your point there around the growing, well, certainly in performance audit, the growing use of diagrams and charts. Okay. A picture paints a thousand words. It's a cliche because it's true. And as long as you make that picture, so in terms of a, an audit report, a, you know, if it's a chart or a diagram or something that explains a process or can situate a risk for the reader quite simply. Or just an icon. Or just an icon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's a more inviting report to read. But the difficulty with that is it's not always easy to simplify complex things into diagrams. So we have to understand that, that the readers of our reports, which is what we're talking about ultimately, may be more comfortable with descriptions in words. Sounds like something that we need to explore uh, in detail uh, in a separate episode, and we'll do that in a couple of weeks' time, hopefully. In terms of making impact, so we've spoken about the use of the media, we've spoken about use of extended media, so various social media channels and blogs, etc. We've spoken about plain English language. We've spoken about the way in which reports are actually produced, so um, more digestible, um, shorter snippets that are more digestible than just the 100-page reports. What else can performance audit teams do to maximize impact? In my mind, one of the most important things that they can do to maximize impact is refer to similar reports that have been done maybe in other jurisdictions or even other countries and draw on some of the key issues identified there. So while we, for example, might be doing a performance audit on a health-related topic, another country may have done a very similar performance audit, slightly different scope. But there's an opportunity in our report to reflect on some of those issues because readers are quite often interested in understanding not just what's happening in my backyard, but how can I situate this against the performance of a similar function, maybe in a like country or another country. So the answer to your question, which is a long-winded answer, is one of the things we can do to maximize impact is to say, this is how, this is how we're traveling in our own backyard. But look, this other country or this other area is dealing with similar problems and this is how they performed or these are things we can learn from them. I think the last thing we wanted to talk about is the use of presentations and other types of events, discussions, etc. to spread the message across across government entities. So usually when we do a performance audit, we'll you know, focus on a, on a subset of entities. They will be heavily involved in the audit, so they'll, be, they'll usually be committed to um, addressing the issues that have been identified. What are the, the, those mechanisms, um, so those informal and formal discussions that we can have to, to help maximize or to help extend the reach of what we've, what we've seen and what needs to be done across various government entities that fall into our jurisdiction. The delivery of presentations um, about performance audit reports are very effective mechanisms for a couple of reasons. The first one being you've got a captured audience and they're there by virtue of the fact they're interested in the subject matter. And they're probably interested because either they're responsible for that in their own organization or they are going to be responsible for implementing what the Auditor General has said in a performance audit. So you've got those people who have a, a genuine interest in being there. But the second thing which is really important, which you don't get from a written audit report is during a presentation, people have the opportunity to ask questions. And some of those questions may go to matters that you may not have been able to explain within the report for various reasons or they may just have dropped off through the editorial process. There is real value in having the interaction and like-minded people in a room talking about what they see and things that arise in their mind as a result of your report. So I would, I'm a strong, strong backer of presentations about audit reports. And that might be something that the internal audit community could 
work with as well. Often our reports would be provided to management that were involved. It then goes to the audit committee and then actions are tracked. That particular business unit and the risk team, the audit committee and the audit team will be very aware of what's actually in there. But often we see that other entities in, in the organization don't get the opportunity to ask questions about what was identified, um, what the potential is for them to, to use better practices identified to change their own practices as well. There's a stereotypical view of auditors as you know being locked in dark rooms, looking at numbers all day and all night and giving presentations across organizations, whether it's internal audit or performance audit, actually demonstrates to stakeholders that auditors are real people. And maybe the stereotype doesn't hold true so much and they can interact. And in in fact, the more progressive audit functions these days are actually really willing to engage and get early feedback and use that to actually drive their own performance. That would be my observation. That's great. You were talking about the presentations of results of performance audits or results of an individual performance audit. Is that done for all performance audits? We should. As to how much, how many resources we devote to each of those presentations would depend on things we might mentioned before, such as the relative impact, the, the reach of the stakeholders involved, the genuine public interest in it. So we may have do five presentations on a particular performance audit topic because it hits all those high notes. But in any event, I think regardless of the number of performance audits we do, it is a genuine benefit to do a presentation for each and every one of those. So it sounds like the presentation on a performance audit topic can provide very high levels of impact across entities that the audit office deals with. Are we seeing today that every audit office is providing a presentation on every performance audit report that is produced? Absolutely not. Not every audit office is presenting on the results of every performance audit. However, there are certain audit offices that do accompany their reports with presentations in every circumstance. So what is it that's holding those audit offices back? I would suggest those audit offices that are not doing that, the reason is the Auditor General of those offices does not consider that that's an appropriate way to fulfill their mandate. So perhaps they've got a more of a traditional perspective, as we talked about earlier, where they feel that I report to the parliament. Once I've done that, I've fulfilled my duty. Whatever happens in relation to that particular report beyond that is extraneous. What are they then missing out on? What is the the impact that they're not able to provide? Uh, And maybe this goes to, can we actually measure the impact of a presentation that's provided about an audit report? Or at a minimum, can we measure the level of engagement that we have in those presentations, which will then go to helping understand that impact? So I'll take your first question first. I think that'd be a great little project for us to do, Yusuf, to actually uh, measure the, the benefit those audit offices get from having presentations accompany the report versus the risk attached to those auditor general not taking that approach to have presentations for the report. It sounds like the risk is actually higher if you don't do the presentation. Yeah, which is what I would concur with, yeah. Okay, so some so what you're saying is that some audit offices are not conducting that because they don't see that as part of their mandate. Are we seeing any audit offices where some some audit reports result in presentations and others don't? There are some audit offices that selectively do presentations on their some of their performance audits and on others they don't. And I suspect the basis of that decision making is they need to focus their resources on where they think they're going to get the biggest bang for their buck. So they may say, for example, for the sake of it, if we take, we've done 10 audit reports this year, which are the three that we want to do presentations on? 
and they may say, okay, these three have the highest impact or the greatest likelihood to impact the public interest. So we'll devote resources to doing a bit of a, a campaign around these three and the other seven we just um, can't devote any resources to do. So that's really interesting, right? Because in our experience, the the cost of conducting an individual performance audit could often goes into hundreds of thousands of dollars. So if you're spending half a million dollars, Australian dollars that is, to conduct a performance audit, um, and I'm sure in the US, Canada, the UK, there'll be similar numbers. If you're spending half a million dollars, let's say, to conduct a performance audit, what would a presentation cost in real terms? 10, 15, 20, 25,000 bucks? Well, I don't think it's actually the financial cost that's the biggest determinant um, would be my observation. It's more around freeing up the time for the individuals who had been involved and have the greatest insights to be able to go and deliver that work. Okay, but that then comes back to financial. Right, because if you if you have a bigger team, then you can actually free that up. So it, it then becomes a: Do I get one extra FTE in my organisation to be able to free that time up? Yeah. So taking it back to financials, as was your question, if there's a quite a substantial amount of investment in each performance audit in terms of public monies, as you've just described, then there's a fairly small component of that that's actually required to deliver the presentation attached to that performance audit. And so back to, can that presentation provide high levels of impact, particularly if a small sample was selected and we can actually get the message out? Absolutely, particularly if you've got a captured audience that can can make a difference and actually go away and do something with that presentation. So I wonder if, because often we see the, the cost of producing an audit report is X, and that's publicly reported by many audit officers. I wonder if capturing the cost of all of those ancillary activities, presentations and the like, can be captured there as well. And then overall, there's a consideration as to what our performance audit's costing us, because that is, from what, from what, from the sounds of it, that is an important aspect of the performance order process that is getting the message out to the right people so that the work that was done can be used as widely as possible. Exactly. And if we, we come back to the original proposition about how do we, or the original question, how do we maximize our impact? If we are able to say we did these presentations on our performance audits this year at a cost of X, and we were able to distribute the message to so many more people, which would influence our impact, then there's a really simple equation and you may, for example, be able to develop a business case on that basis. And when you come to your appropriation from the parliament, perhaps the next year, you can say that we just need a slightly slight adjustment to our appropriation, but look at the impact we will have on the basis of that. Assuming that there are still some internal auditors listening to this episode, because we have been going on with, about performance audit for a while, but assuming that they are, and, and hopefully you have, because I think there's a lot there's a lot to be learned from what performance auditors are doing in terms of the way in which they using the work that they are doing to to provide impact across um, the range of entities that they um, that they focus on presentation um, answering questions that other people might have the use of um, various media so it, you know this you're obviously not going to use social media to explore the results of your audit but when you have internal communications groups so internet portals lots of people are using internal social media channels teams and and, and a range of other a range of other mechanisms for communicating with individuals within the organization then we should be looking at how we can use that to 
to spread the message of what it is that we're doing and what the impact of our reports is and where other entities within our organization, other business units, other people can benefit from that. So uh, this is obviously going to be an area that, that grows a lot more. But if we can, if we, we do spend a lot on c- conducting our audits. I'm not saying we spend more than the value that we produce, but it's a lot of money that is being spent. And if we can communicate that and get reach as many people as possible, we would have better return on the investment in ourselves as, as internal auditors or performance auditors. So the three things we spoke about today in no order of importance, remedial action go beyond it so past present and future using reports for maximum impact through presentations through the use of infographics through better use of english language through ensuring that we able to get the reach that we need and then following up and ensuring that when we do follow up we consider emerging needs and um, the potential for changes in uh, what the expectations are around those actions if you really want to maximize the impact of your report firstly Grow your reach, whether that be through new audiences or using other mechanisms such as social media to tap into those audiences. And the second thing is make your report digestible and understandable to your readers. Thanks, Anna. Thanks, Yusuf. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with a friend and rate us in your podcast app. For immediate notification of new episodes, you can subscribe at assuranceshow.com. The link is in the show notes.